So we continue our journey through uh, the words of Jesus on the cross. We're calling it Cross Words. And uh, the last two weeks, you've been blessed with two shorter sermons. And today, you get a good old-fashioned long one, just in time for our junior high students that are with us. But um, we have looked at actually four of the cries of Jesus, the cry of pardon, the cry of compassion, the cry of anguish, and the cry of suffering. Today, we're jumping ahead to chapter 7, and we're looking at a cry of submission. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Next week, on Easter Sunday, it's appropriate that we look at the cry of victory. Uh, It is finished, and then Adam's going to wrap up our series on April 3rd, looking at a cry of assurance, today you'll be with me in paradise. Do we have any of these books left, KR, or are we all out? We've got three books left, so if you want your book, $3, and if you don't have $3, just grab a book, and again, hopefully this has helped you as we journey through God's Word together. A couple quick announcements. This Friday is Good Friday, and one of the things that us Protestants, I don't think, do a very good job of it involves Holy Week. We're all in on Easter Sunday. We're all in on the resurrection. But I don't think we, we do a great job celebrating and remembering the events of Holy Week. And so one opportunity you have is Friday night at the Presbyterian Church, 7 p.m. Our friend Ernie Harvey will be preaching, and I hope that you'll come out and uh, remember the death of Jesus with your fellow Christians throughout this community. Sunday is Easter Sunday, and that means there's going to be about twice as many people here as there are today. And so if you walk in next Sunday morning and someone is sitting in your pew, go ahead and find a different pew, welcome them, love them, shake their hand, hug them, do not tell them that they're sitting in your pew. We don't have assigned pews, and we never will, and just really encourage people. We only have one chance to make a difference with people that visit our church, and I hope we make a difference this coming Sunday, Easter Sunday. Um, Rotary is once again doing a fundraising chicken dinner, Nelson's Chicken Dinner. It's uh, three weeks from this coming Wednesday. You may be wondering, why am I uh, making a Rotary announcement? Because all of the money that's raised through this fundraiser is returned to local food pantries, including our food pantry here at FCC. So I unashamedly encourage you to buy a chicken dinner ticket or two or ten and know that it's for a great cause and know that our food pantry will benefit from it. We get the leftover food and we're able to give that away the next day at our food pantry, but we also get a monetary gift and we're able to go out and buy groceries. And tickets are available in the foyer. Any Rotarians selling chicken dinner tickets? They love when I do this. Anybody here today? We got one hand over here. Okay, so find these people. They've got ten tickets to sell. Help them out. Intentional Church Conference on April 23rd and 5K to raise 5K on May 21. Uh, The cry of Jesus that we study today, according to Luke, were the final words of Jesus on the cross. And uh, following just an unbelievably difficult period of hours that led to his death, um, Luke records Jesus crying out, Father, into your hands... I commit my spirit, and Luke says that when he'd said this, he breathed his last. And so we've looked at words of pardon, and we've looked at words of agony, and we've looked at words of anguish, and today we consider this word submission. When when I look at Luke 23, 46, that, um, that screams of submission. And so I asked you last week to consider the time that maybe you felt betrayed, I want you to put on your thinking cap this morning and think about a time that you've been called to submit, a time where you really were forced to go into a period of submission. Think about that for just a moment. 
Um, like the word betrayal, we don't really like the word submission. Um, we don't really enjoy those times in our life that we've been called to submit. I, I reflected back to uh, growing up in Jim Taylor's house in Champaign, Illinois, six foot seven inch Jim Taylor, and I probably uh, can think of about a hundred times that, that I learned lessons on submission. I reflect back to my teenage years and the speeches that I rehearsed and the words that I was going to share with passion and priority. And every single time, uh, submission ended up being the end result. Uh, I, I thought about every job or every ministry that I've ever had. And in every situation, in every context, I've been called one time or another to, to submit to experience submission. And I would throw this in there, especially for the young folks out there, the times that I fought submission, not very often, but the times I fought submission were the toughest times of my life. The times that I just did not have a spirit of submission were difficult, difficult seasons. So take that for what it's worth. I've learned a lot about submission in my marriage now, you may be saying, aren't you a First Peter kind of guy? Aren't you a, you know, a First Timothy kind of guy? Isn't the woman supposed to submit and you're running the show? And, you know, I thought that might be the way for about a week when I was 22 years of age. But I realized pretty quickly that um, marriage really is mutual submission. It's submission first and foremost to God the Father. But it's a submission to one another. And so here's the point. Embracing submission is much easier said than done. It's easy to get up and talk submission. Man, it's a lot more difficult to really put it into practice. Thinking about submission, I'm reminded of my good friend Lynn Laughlin from Lincoln Christian University. And w one of the stories that he tells of a time before I was even a student at Lincoln, they, they had a student that had come from the St. Louis area, and he was a rather rebellious student. It was during a time when people were avoiding the war, and so Bible college sounded really uh, enticing. Uh, go to war, go to Bible college. A lot of folks decided they're going to go to Bible college, but this particular student, the six months, seven months that he was on the campus, he was just a rebel. And time and time and time again, he found himself in trouble. And Lincoln had a disciplinary committee, and it was comprised of administrators and professors. And he'd been before the disciplinary committee on multiple occasions. And finally, they brought him in, and they said, we're done with you. The party's over. We're kicking you out of school. And he looked him in the eye and said, I'm glad you're kicking me out of school because I'm tired of this place. I'm tired of following the rules. I'm tired of 7.30 a.m classes. I'm tired of all that's being forced upon me. And he said, and I know what I'm doing next. And they looked at him and said, well, Pee Wee, what are you doing next? And he said, I'm going to join the Marines. <laughs> True story. I'm guessing he learned a little something about submission. Well, what about Jesus and submission? Are there lessons that we can learn from Jesus when it comes to submission? When when I think of Jesus, when we think of Jesus, we probably don't think of that word submission. We probably think of someone that's large and in charge and doing miracles and preaching sermons and people are being drawn to him and they're like, wow, you're Jesus. But you look at the Gospels, you go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and there are repeated passages that describe Jesus' willingness to submit. Think about early on in his ministry. In Matthew chapter 3, Jesus submits to baptism. 
comes up to John the Baptist and he says, um, time to baptize me. And John the Baptist is like, but you're Jesus. You should baptize me. I'm not baptizing you. And Jesus is like, no, let's get on with it. Let's get down in the river. I need to be baptized to fulfill all righteousness. And so Jesus submits. Jesus submits to Satan's temptation. Now, he doesn't give in to Satan's temptation, but you can read in Matthew chapter 4 and in Luke chapter 4 the the temptation narrative, and Jesus submits. Jesus could have said, I'm the Son of God. I'm not going 40 days without eating. Are you kidding me? I'm not going through these tests. Are you kidding me? But he submitted to temptation, and he does not sin. What about the first miracle? When you think about the miracles of Jesus, I mean, I think about raising Lazarus from the dead. That's an awesome miracle. I think about feeding 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. That's an awesome miracle. Remember what his first miracle was in John chapter 2? He helped people that had probably had too much wine anyway drink more wine. Junior hires, just don't even think about that one right now. Just block that one out completely. Why would Jesus do such a ludicrous miracle, such a a crazy miracle. Because his mom asked him to. Because she said, my friends didn't prepare adequately and they're about to be shamed. And it's a shame that's going to last a really long time. And Jesus said, but it's not my time yet. And mom just kind of looked at him. And the next thing you know, he's calling for the jars. He's filling them with water. And it's the first miracle at Cana. So what I want to do this morning as we consider this this final cry of Jesus in chapter 7, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, I want us to try to learn some Holy Week lessons related to submission. And there's, there's two chapters that I really want to focus in on. I want you to grab your Bible, and if you don't have a Bible, I really want you to grab the Pew Bible. And I want you to turn to John chapter 13, and put your finger in it or put a piece of paper in it. And then I want you to flip back to Matthew chapter 26. John chapter 13 and Matthew chapter 26. And we're going to look at these in depth this morning. Three lessons from the life of Jesus related to submission. And number one is this. See that Jesus submitted to the will of God throughout his entire ministry. We think of Jesus, fully God, fully man, son of God, perfect in every way, We think of Jesus just kind of doing his own thing, and he had his own agenda, and he had his own plan. And if you think that, you would be wrong. You would have an incorrect understanding of why Jesus' earthly ministry took place. And John, in his gospel, I don't know if he does this on purpose. I think he does, but I, I can't really prove that he does. But he gives us some snapshots of what this looks like. In John chapter 4, verse 34, Jesus' teaching says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And so right there he said, That's my food. That's my nutrients, to do the will of God, to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 30, he says, I'm not here to, to please myself. It's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to please God the Father who sent me. And in John chapter 6, verse 38, he says, I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And so in John 4, John John 5, and John 6, we we see Jesus unashamedly saying, it's not about me. I'm the Son of God, but it's not about me. 
It's all about the will of my Father. So here's the question I have for you, and I want everyone to consider this question. I want you to consider this question if you've been a Christian your whole life. I want you to consider this question if you're a brand new baby Christian. I want you to consider this question if you're not even a Christian. Someone just drug you to church today. You're just here because you have to be here. I want you to consider this question. Where are you at with the will of God in your life? Could you say, could you look yourself in the mirror and say, I am living out God's will for my life. And there's a universal God's will for your life. Love God, love people, be salt, be light. But then I also believe there's a specific will of God for each and every life that's here today. And for some of you, maybe it's God's will that you become a follower of Jesus. If that's not where you're at, you need to think about it. I reflect back on my marriage, great day in my life. I reflect back to when Jordan was born and when Peyton was born. Man, great days in my life. The greatest day in my life is the day that I said, I believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I accept him as my Lord and Savior, and I was baptized. Now, I'll be honest, I was seven. I don't remember a whole lot about it. I certainly didn't know a whole lot then. That's the greatest day of my life. And if you've never experienced it, if you've never experienced that joy, It could be that that's why you're here today. It could be that that's what brought you today, to be able to stand before a church, to be able to stand in my office, just you and me, and say, I believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I want to accept him as my Lord and my Savior. Jesus submitted to the will of God through his entire ministry. Number two, Jesus taught submission via servant leadership. It wasn't just enough for Jesus to say, I have submitted to the will of God. But throughout the whole time, the the three-year public ministry, he's trying to help Peter and James and John and the other disciples and all these other people that that are following him as well. We don't even know most of their names, but he's trying to help them to understand that it's all about servant leadership. And I mean, I can't even really say that term, servant leadership, in 2016 without laughing out loud. Just look at our presidential election. Just look at any election. And this idea to serve This idea of humility, you can't find that. And it's not appealing. It's not attractive. This whole large and in charge and I got a plan and I'm the man or I'm the woman, that's pretty attractive in our culture today. Jesus said, I think it's a little different. He taught submission via servant leadership. And nowhere is this better seen than an event that took place during Holy Week when Jesus washes the disciples' feet. So flip over to John chapter 13. I'm going to read this account for us. This is old hat for a lot of us. If we grew up in the church, it may be brand new for some of you. If you didn't grow up in the church, Jesus washes the disciples' feet. John 13, verse 1. It says, it was just before the Passover feast, and Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, this is something we can't even really 
picture in, in, in our world today. But in the first century world, they didn't have like bass dress shoes and, you know, the, the curved toe and all of that. You were probably walking around barefoot or you're walking around in sandals. So you get all clean and, you know, you've used your soap and your shampoo and you put your conditioner in and you're off to where you want to go and you're clean, except when you get to where you're supposed to go, your feet are really disgusting. It's not just that they smell, they're dirty. And so if you go to the, to the house of someone fairly prominent, there's a servant there and they're going to wash your feet for you and then you're all clean and then it's great. And so that's what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is getting ready to wash his disciples' feet. Verse 6, he comes to Simon Peter who, was, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? I think that's what I would probably say to Jesus. You're not washing my feet. I'm washing your feet. Verse 7, Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing. Later you'll understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Peter ought to just let it go at this point, but he can't let it go because he's Peter. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who's had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he'd finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus said, now that I've done this for you, get out there and wash one another's feet. So what's Jesus talking about? Is he talking about getting a nice Excel spreadsheet? Okay, Peter's going to wash Matthew's feet on Monday. And on Tuesday, John will wash. Is that what he's talking I don't think that's what he's talking about. I think he's saying, get out there. There's a big old world out there. Wash their feet. Love them. Serve them. Encourage them. And he leaves them with this truth. And like they used to say on, on Seinfeld, it's gold, Jerry, this is gold here. No servant is greater than his master. No servant is greater than his master. What a great lesson from Jesus during Holy Week. Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Well, lesson number three that I want us to grab a hold of this morning is this. Jesus submitted to the plan of God during his most difficult hour. Last week, we um, looked at two different sayings, but I, I tackled the, the betrayal. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And um, reflecting on, I don't think I did a very good job helping us really understand the, the agony that Jesus experienced because he was living out the plan of God. See, God is so holy and sin is so awful, and it creates separation. The word God said, uh, enough with the Old Testament plan. Jesus Christ, my son, will become the one time for all time sacrifice. Because sin is so awful. And because people need salvation from sin. 
And so Jesus understood all of that, but it really became a reality on Thursday night as he went to the garden. So flip to Matthew chapter 26. Let's look at Jesus in the garden. I'm going to begin reading with verse 36. It says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, Listen to these words of agony. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Why is he so sorrowful? He'd seen crucifixions. He'd heard the cries. The Romans, um, they'd perfected the art of execution. And to call it awful is an understatement. And they did it on purpose. They wanted it to be horrific. They wanted it to be stomach-turning. So people would see someone being crucified and say, I'm going to get my life together. I'm going to stop going down that road. Literally scare them into behaving correctly and Jesus had seen that and he knew that was getting ready to be him 39 verse 39 going a little farther Jesus fell with his face to the ground and he prayed my father if it is possible may this cup be taken from me yet not as I will but you will and then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping could you not keep watch with me for one hour he asked Peter Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. And he went away a second time and he prayed, My father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Second time, God, is there any other way? God, is there any other plan? Verse 43, came back a second time and found them again sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more. And prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples, and he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Luke said that Jesus was so torn up. Jesus was so much in agony, so distraught that he sweat drops of blood. But what I want you to see is his willingness to submit despite the pain, despite the agony, because it was God's plan, because it was the plan of God. And so we're here in Luke chapter 23. Jesus called out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, Jesus breathed his last. Luke does a great job bookending the first thing Jesus said according to Luke and the last thing Jesus said according to Luke. Submission to the will of God. What's the first thing that Jesus said according to Luke? When he's getting chewed out by his mom and dad for, for not being with him, he said, didn't you think I'd be in my father's house? Wouldn't you think I'd be about my father's business? Submission to the will of God. His final words, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit, submission to the will of God. So, what do we do with this on Palm Sunday? What do we do with this on Holy Week? I have just two challenges for you. 
And number one is this, and number one's going to be difficult for some of us. I'll just throw it out there before I even let you know what it is. I want to challenge you to specifically and intentionally wash someone's feet this week. That's number one. Will you specifically and intentionally wash someone's feet this week? Now, I'm not talking about ask them to take their shoes off. I'm not talking about get a, get a water basin and a wash rag. That, that'd be easy, quite honestly. I'm asking you to think, is there a person that God has brought into your life that needs the love of Jesus? Is there a visit you need to make? Is there a, a sign of love that you need to make? Is there an encounter that needs to happen where you can say, I'm washing his feet. I'm washing her feet. I'm serving in the name of Jesus. And I realize way outside the comfort zone. A whole lot more than go to church for an hour, sing a couple songs, and you know, beat the Methodist to the restaurant. I understand that. But will you specifically and intentionally wash someone's feet this week. Secondly, number two, and this may be just as challenging, will you identify one area of your life where you have yet to submit to God's will? Is there a part of your life that you haven't given to him? Is there a part of your routine that he doesn't own? Is there something that has a hold of you that's holding you back? And if it is, whatever it is, do something about it. I could give you 15 possibilities. I'm not going to do that. I just want to ask you to seriously consider where your life matches up with God's will. And if there's a disconnect somewhere this holy week, do something about it. Bottom line from the great C.S. Lewis, there are two kinds of people. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says, all right then, have it your way. Which one are you? Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for your son Jesus. We say that every week and we'll never grow tired of saying that. Because we are so thankful for Jesus Christ, your son. God, it's my prayer that this week we will look for opportunities to serve We'll look for an opportunity to be Jesus with skin. We'll love the unlovely. We'll encourage the brokenhearted. We'll bless those that need nothing greater in this world than a blessing. We'll look for opportunities to live out that call to be the salt of the earth, to be the light of the world. Thank you for the hope Jesus brings. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. We're going to conclude our service today with a, a song of commitment, invitation, whatever you want to call it. We're going to sing this song, and it's my prayer that, that you'll consider the, the challenges of the message today as we sing this song. If you'd like someone to pray with you, man, I'd love to pray with you this morning. And I'm going to be up front, and, and please consider coming up so I can pray with you. And if there's a whole bunch of people up here, Becky, some of the rest of y'all, just jump in. Um, we have elders that are here today. We, we would love to pray with you. I want to go back to something that I said early in the message, and that I really believe sometimes God gives us opportunities to respond 
when we least expect those opportunities. And you know, maybe on this Palm Sunday, maybe you're here reluctantly, and I just want you to consider, is God calling you to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Maybe you don't know exactly what that looks like. I'm up front. I'd love to have the chance to visit with you. It's the greatest decision I ever made. Let's stand and Samuel and the team will lead us in our song of commitment. You'll be my joy, say, it's your will, it's your way, and it will be my joy, say, it's your will, it's your way, and it will be my joy, say, it's your will, and it's your way, always. Let's sing that again all together now. It'll be my joy, say, it's your will, it's your way, and it'll be my joy, say, that it's your will, it's your way, and it'll be my joy, say, that it's your will, it's your way, With this heart, with this fire, open wide from the depths, from the heights, I will bring sacrifice. With these hands, lifted high, hear my song, hear my cry, I will bring sacrifice. I will bring the sad. 